Hello, everyone. I am Blake Weatherly. I have a very special guest in my studio today, um, Mr. J.T. Ricketson, who only likes to be called J.T. I apologize for the mister. Uh, J.T. is a candidate for sheriff here in Macon, and he has been nice enough to join me in the studio today to talk about some things. And uh, J.T., thank you so much for coming out. It's a privilege to have you in here. Well, I appreciate you inviting me. It's an honor to be here. We're going to talk about some serious things today. We're going to talk about some heavy things. But more importantly, J.T., who's your college football team? Pretty much Georgia. Okay. Bulldogs. Bulldogs. Okay. I, I didn't graduate from there. I went to the two colleges that I have or hold degrees from did not have football. Right. Program, unfortunately. So. <laughs> right. But uh, so Bulldogs are your team? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. We're moving along. Uh, next question. Where do you stand on the Falcons? It's a, it's I like <laughs> the Falcons, but they frustrate the crap out of it's me. It's hard being a Falcons they were, they fan. They were 0-4 or something. And yeah. Just a, a quick little background. In my career with GBI, I actually did some security up there at the Falcons game, so I got mm -hmm. to know and talk to some of the players um, back years ago. Yes, sir. Well, we just need to get these important questions out of the way yeah, for, for, for the uh, potential voters. JT, I know you're a very busy man, uh, and throughout your campaign, you've made yourself tremendously accessible and available to the citizens of Macon. And I'd like to say that I find that both impressive and commendable. And uh, before we get started, I want to ask that um, if you are elected sheriff, would that be, would you continue having this willingness to have a rapport and to engage in the public? And is that something you feel is important Important in the position of sheriff. Absolutely. For 36 years, I was a public servant with the GBI. And so I was available. And if somebody wanted to call and talk to me, we would talk to them and we would share with them everything that we could about the criminal investigation that they may have been involved with, with the exception of I would never compromise the integrity of the case. Right. But there's, there are lots of things that you can share with uh, the victims, but there's also things you can share with the public about the different cases that we worked. Do the same thing as the sheriff. Absolutely. And I think there's something reassuring about that, um, even for, for all public figures, but especially sheriff as the symbol of justice, law and order in Macon. I think that's something very important. And again, I, I really appreciate that, uh, how accessible you are. Even, you know, uh, you can go to jtrickettsonforsheriff.com and you can shoot this man an email right now. And you'll probably hear it buzz over his phone because that's how accessible he is. I think that's wonderful and fantastic. And uh, I really appreciate it. Moving right in, uh, JT, I want to talk about uh, your time with the GBI. I know you were in the GBI for 36 years. In the GBI, you held a lot of different roles. And I was wondering if we could briefly talk about some of your roles, uh, particularly in administration. Okay. And uh, one thing that fascinated me was the task forces that you oversaw. Uh, could you briefly tell me about that? So when I was with GBI, I was promoted to what's called an ASAC, which is assistant agent in charge, and then later uh, SAC, which is special agent in charge. Well, I served in different offices when I was there. When I was over in the Greenville office, we had a task force that was in Carrollton, Georgia. It was called the West Georgia Drug Task Force. Then when I was the SAC over the drug office in middle Georgia, we had one in Milledgeville and we had one in Eastman, Georgia. And so I have, that's three different ones, and they would cover anywhere from five to ten counties each. That sounds like a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of moving parts, but it's a lot of things, and, and it's a coordination. And a lot of people don't understand, with GBI, we actually were created as an assisting agency. So we assist the sheriff's offices and the police departments around the state with their investigations. Well, it's the same attitude that we have when we work a, a multi-jurisdictional task force is we combine efforts with all the surrounding law enforcement so we can get 
the job done. It doesn't matter to us who gets the credit. Right. It just matters that we get the bad guy locked up and we try to do some restorative justice for the victims. Absolutely. We're supposed to have safe streets. That's the goal. I'm glad you mentioned the multi-jurisdictional task forces. We're going to get there in a moment because I was uh, very surprised to learn, and that's a word I'm going to use a lot in this discussion, that we don't have one already. Just listening to you talk about all the different uh, task forces that you were overseeing, could you give me an approximation on how many officers and staff were underneath you between all those all those task in, forces? In my career, I've had a lot of different roles that I've played. But the task forces, some of the task forces might have had 8 to 10. Some may have had 15 to 20. When, I, when the Olympics came to Atlanta in 1996, yes, I had 140 folks that I was responsible for. The day-in, day-out jobs that they had for the security there at the, the Olympics. In 2004, we had what was called the G8 Summit. So we had our president come down to St. Simon Sea Island for a conference with seven other world leaders. Well, during that conference and that preparation, I had 400 people that I was overseeing, uh, me and another guy, and that was our role, was the immediate response team commanders. So we were responsible for the day-to-day security of that event. And everything that entails, which, which I imagine is a and lot. It was a lot. And I also served on the budget, the state budget. So I was one of the ones that was just, dis- I was reading all the law enforcement plans and seeing where we would spend the, the $25 million that we had for our budget to secure that event. Allocating it properly. Absolutely. Right. Um, so it, it sounds to me that you are no stranger to lots of moving parts, lots of people underneath you coordinating those people, coordinating them across other task forces, and keeping the wheel turning. Absolutely. Uh, that's very good to know. And with that being said, I want to move into our next topic because I think this corresponds to it directly, which is the consolidation of Macon. When Macon consolidated, the Macon Police Department was absorbed by the Bibb County Sheriff's Office. JT, can you help us unpack? Because I think it's remarkable that a lot of people don't understand how important this was and what it meant to the sheriff's office by combining the two and more importantly what it means to be sheriff in a consolidated government that that is correct there's only a couple in the state of georgia that that have this set up the way we have here in making bib mm-hmm. generally speaking a sheriff is responsible for maintaining the county jail and then patrolling out in the county and then being the civil process server, whatever, serving papers. When they took on the combination, when they added in Macon PD with them, they also took on all the inner city crimes and other things that were going on there. And I'll tell you, one of the dynamics that I've noticed here, they've they've been consolidated now for six years. Yes, sir. And David is a friend of mine, but David has never transitioned over from getting out of the sheriff's role, which is just maintaining the county jail and, and, and patrolling. When you think about it, out in the rural areas of our county, there are there are a lot of different needs and crimes that occur there versus the inner city areas. Absolutely. I, I mean, I would, I would take that a step further and say it's two separate worlds. Very, very different, and I don't think he's made that transition. It's been six years. The other dynamic that was going on, a lot of people didn't know this, but a lot of the people at the police department – did not like the people at the sheriff's office and vice versa. Right. And so that to me is also a leadership issue. We need to form as one team and c- call ourselves Macon Bib, 
We don't need to refer to them as a legacy deputy or former Macon PD officer. It's all the same we, team. We should quit the labels and let's go with one one label and say Macon Bibb. I think it's a, it's important to mention too uh, the responsibilities of the sheriff as it is now. Um, we've covered that realistically between let's say like the chief of police and like an inner city police department versus kind of a county sheriff is two separate things both equally important but now more important than ever when we've combined the two the one thing i would ask is how how do you see approaching this and making changes towards keeping the city safe because it and this this may just be um you know a subjective observation but in my opinion it seems as though since consolidation, the city has seen considerable increases in both crime, violent crime, property crime across the board. And in my opinion, it seems as though that whatever we're doing currently, whatever task forces are currently in place to serve the city proper are failing. That That's my opinion. That, that they don't seem to be working correctly, that there's a lot falling through the gaps. And I can't help but think that this may be a result of an inadequacy in how to police a city and how to handle a consolidation. And, and I don't mean that in, in any negative way, but what I mean is, is that it seems as though we need a change of plan. We definitely need some new solutions. What we're, what we're seeing right now is the old solutions. We also see a lot of excuses that come out of the sheriff's office. And I'm not the way, when I look at leadership in law enforcement, leadership should be providing solutions, not excuses. When we show up on a scene and we don't know what happened, we call it a whodunit. Right. So we have no clue as to what happened. We don't just throw our hands up and go, well, we don't know what happened. And just, you know, no, we start, a, we start formulating a plan and we do a systematic approach to it. We get the scene safe and then we start working leads. We start we start following the evidence is what we do. What's going on here in Macon Bib is you can't police the inner city with a sheriff mentality of oh I got to worry about votes. Right. You my my concern I'm not concerned about votes if I'm the sheriff. I'm concerned about having safe streets. If whatever I do at the, at the beginning of my term and through the end of my term, everything that I'm going to be doing is trying is the goal of having safe streets here. It is not a goal of how many more votes can I get? Who, who, who can I earn their trust on, on just giving me a vote? My thing is the streets will be safer when I leave office. If I only stay one, in one term, that's fine. I, I will guarantee you this place will be a safer place. I'll make some very tough decisions that need to be made. We don't have a warrant team here. And this is information straight out of the sheriff's office. There's over 3,000 people in our community that have warrants on them. A lot of them are misdemeanor, but there's felony warrants. So that means we have predators that are on our streets. So I'm glad you brought that up because the, this is definitely the next thing I want to move into when we're talking about how do we correct these problems? How, how do we make Macon a safer place, Macon Bib a safer place? The first th that you just brought up is the Warrant Task Force. What is it and why do we need it? I know the answer, but also I was very surprised to learn that this didn't already exist. And again, that's I think that's number three today. But JT, unpack that for me. What is it and why do we need it? All right. Well, first off, it does exist at a lot of other sheriff's offices all around the state of Georgia. It just doesn't exist here. Right. What we need here is a group of folks that are highly trained together. They train as a team. 
It, it can be anywhere from six, eight, or ten folks. It's going to be around that size depending on the size of your um, agency. But what they do every day when they come in is they prioritize all the felony fugitives, which I call our predators, on our streets, and they decide, and then they work towards getting them and bringing them to justice. Bibb County does not have that. Their warrant division, their, and this is straight from the mouth of the sheriff, their main priority is prisoner transport. So that means they're only concerned with people that they've already got locked up, and that makes no sense to me at all. How do we have safe streets if we allow predators on our streets? So, JT, what you're telling me is that uh, in, in some of these cases, these people have already had charges brought against them. And um, as someone in your experience who has built cases, what you're telling me is that we have our deputies who are under-resourced, underfunded, and they're still out there doing their jobs. They're building cases. They're prosecuting criminals. They're trying to keep the city safe. We have, there are great people that work at the sheriff's office. They are 200 deputies short now. They're short in the jail also. We have folks that are working from can to can't week after week after week. Right. The Out, out of the, the stats that came out of the sheriff's office, they are expending over 4,500 hours in overtime every month. That's a hundred and something thousand dollars every month, over a million dollars in overtime. And that, that's unsustainable. It's not how you do regular day-to-day business. Why, why they don't have a mechanism in place the size that they are? You know, Bibb County is the sixth largest sheriff's office in the state of Georgia. I did not know that. And, and one of my other pushes, and we'll maybe get to it in a minute, is the accreditation stuff as far as the policies and procedures. And there are 40-plus agencies, state law, or law enforcement agencies in our state that are nationally accredited. Macon Police Department was accredited when it was merged with BBSO, but then they did away with that, that initiative. So we have... All of these officers working very hard. Yes. And they're prosecuting criminals. And then doing the best they can with very limited resources. Now, there is a marshal's service here, mm-hmm. and, and they have a team of people, but they're, they're trying to serve middle Georgia. Bibb County should have its own unit, just like Houston County has. And, and when you look around the state, other sheriff's offices have their own warrant team. With the ineffectiveness of the current uh, way we serve these warrants and and basically try to capture uh, criminal fugitives. Well, the other thing that happens, in, and I don't know if you saw in recent news, where they tried to round up a whole bunch of them. And it's nothing but a political stunt by the current sheriff. Been in there all eight years, really hasn't done much of anything as far as law enforcement well, they go out, and, and these are some of these criminals that I'm talking about, the 300-plus fugitives in our area. They pick up 229 of them, I believe. They get a bunch of guns off the street, too. I'm very thankful that they did that. But it was, it's a, it was a stunt is all it is. But what he did, in, a, in essence, was he now just overloaded his jail because within a short period of time, he added 200-plus defendants in there. When all their paperwork goes through, it's going to hit the court system. He's done the same thing now to the court system. He has overloaded our court system. If you were doing this, when I jumped in this race back in February, I started talking about we need a warrant task force team here. We need a multi-jurisdictional task force here that are are focusing on the, the predators that are in our community right now. 
if you're doing your job day in and day out, this is a job that's this is 24-7, 365. It's not the last month and a half of an eight-year term. We do this all the time. Right. And and, it, and then it's not it it's coming in it's coming in in trickles where you're getting your your fugitives off the street, not at two hundred plus in, in one big swap. It's it needs to be steady. Absolutely. It needs it needs to be a constant. Right. Effort. But here's the other thing that happens. Okay. So when you start putting pressure on predators in your street in your community, two things happen to those predators. You either lock them up or they leave because they're not going to operate. They like operating where there's no pressure, where there's no law enforcement presence. That's where they operate. But when you put the pressure on them, you're either going to lock them up or they're going to leave. Which it seems really interesting that you bring that up because if, let's say, instead of just being a modest talking head on a microphone, if I were a a career criminal, it would seem as though Macon would be a pretty good place to be right now. Look at it. I mean, look at the crime we've got going on. It's very obvious we have a lot of predators on our streets right now. We have... 42 homicides in 2018, and we're at, what, 38 right now? Yeah, we're going to try and beat our record, We're on track to set a violent record. It's uh, deplorable. Moving uh, right into the multi-jurisdictional task force, Mm -hmm. and I think this goes hand-in-hand with what we're talking about, it's undeniable that Macon is essentially the hub of middle Georgia. It is. Aiken's population is around 150,000. Warner Robins has 75,000, I believe. Uh, Monroe County, about 30,000. Jones County, about 30,000. Not to mention all the smaller counties around the area. Realistically, we're looking at um, close to 300,000, a quarter million of people. What does a multi-jurisdictional task force look like? What that is, is if if I get in, I'm going to go to all the surrounding sheriffs, and all the surrounding police chiefs. And I'm going to go to them and say, let's start this task force. And it's real simple. You, you, they can either, depending on the size of their agency, they can detach one or two of their officers or deputies, depending on who I'm speaking with, to this task force. We'll house this task force in a certain area where, where most likely will probably be right here in Macon Bibb. We're the largest agency, so we have the most skin in the game. So it's it's really we would be the anchor agency that would be handling all the administrative paperwork. But we also reach out to the district attorneys. And if you think about the the uniqueness that we have here, Macon and Bibb basically are in the same circuit with Crawford and Peach. So we, that would be one DA at the table. Houston is its own uh, judicial system, so they would they would have a seat at the table. If we've got Dooley County or if we've got Twiggs County, they're in, in other uh, court circuits. So we would be reaching out and having DAs also present, in, and they would serve on the board, and they would have a voting um, – they would be a voting member there. And then so we would start working cases. We would work them here, but we would work them in every member agency. So it, let's say somebody like Peach County or Crawford County – that they're not the size of Housing County making bib. If they're a member of the task force and we have predators that are on their streets and we start targeting them, looking at them for drug investigations, you know, in my career with GBI, almost half my career was in drug investigations. So I, I know a lot about how to go about that when somebody has a, a, a nuisance house in their area and saying, I just know they're selling drugs and nobody's doing anything about it. If you tell me where that house is, within a day or two, we can get enough information, what we call probable cause, and we can start effecting an arrest warrant. We can start making arrests, 
start putting pressure on that and you either lock those folks up or they leave. Well, I think I think another important thing to consider is um, something you mentioned about, um, you know, the nature of criminals. Uh, well, especially, you know, here in Macon, in a J.T. Ricketson administration, we're going to have an exodus. Um, if, if you employ the policies that you want to employ, there it will be a get out of town or you're going to jail, which means that just by effect, a lot of these criminals will be going to surrounding areas. Absolutely. And then the other thing that we still have that's it, that's a tool in our tool belt, if, we, if you want to call it that, is we can talk with our district attorney and we can talk with our judges here. And if we have certain criminals that just keep coming and being repeat offender, repeat offender over and over and over, we can have them banished from this county. And if they ever show back up and we caught them, then they would be locked up. So yeah. that... That is another effective tool in the criminal justice system that we can use. With basically a multi-jurisdictional task force, we will equip Middle Georgia because Macon, as a hub of Middle Georgia, has a responsibility. Whether we like it or not, we have a responsibility. We do. We do. And with a multi-jurisdictional task force, we can help alleviate some of that overpouring of criminals out of Macon into surrounding areas, coordinate and help solve this problem. Absolutely. These three task forces that I've talked about are all still in existence today, and they're all very successful. I'm sorry. I'm just taken back at, at the fact that this isn't something that we already have. Um, we should. We should. We definitely should. And, and I'll should. give you a little history on this, too. When when I was the SAC over the drug office about nine or ten, ten years ago, I went to the sheriffs here, and I went to the police chiefs here. We my office was actually here in Macon and talked to them about forming this team. I was just trying to create one because I've lived in Macon today now makes 32 years. So I've been here a while, raised both my boys here. So I went to them and they were all very excited. Yes, absolutely. We'd like to do that. So then I go to the sheriff who was Jerry Medina, a good friend of mine. And David Davis was the chief deputy. And I went to them, I can remember it just like it was yesterday, walked in all excited because I had buy-in from all these folks, even the district attorneys here, and went to them and they said, no, absolutely not. We don't want any outside help here. And I was, I was floored by that decision because my thoughts were, but this is a force multiplier. It will make our streets safer. It helps us. We're going to be helping our neighbors which are, you know, Pete, Peach, Crawford, Monroe, Twiggs, and so forth, it just didn't, it didn't resonate with me on why somebody wouldn't just jump at that opportunity. And I guess it's because my, my DNA tells me to run towards problems, but 36 years with GBI, we've always coordinated with other people to it's, get the job done. It sounds like in, in your experience, there is no, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the competitive nature between law enforcement agencies. Well, it's agencies. territorial, and I'm not territorial. No. I don't care. Yeah, and, and your background— It doesn't matter to me. Your background with the GBI, you would work with anyone. Absolutely. You, you, you would work with and, any— and, I'll, and, and if somebody comes up with a solution, I will celebrate that and tell everybody about that. I'll never try to steal it and say, oh, that was— that was our solution. So you, I don't care who who solves it. Let's just solve it. And so we can sum this up by just saying the the territorial nature, the competitiveness, kind of posturing for PR optics. That who, who and, wants and to I'm look a good. team guy. Right. It's not. A, it's not I. These things. These <laughs> it's team. These things are old and they need to go. Yeah. There are so many cultures down there that it just blows my mind. The culture of hiring a young deputy that wants to come on that's 21 to 25 years old 
And they have, they've been doing this for decades and decades and decades. They put them in the jail for four to six years yeah. before they let them get out on the road. My, I'm not doing that. Maybe in the jail six months while we're getting them set up to go to a mandate school, but then out on the road. I want to hire jailers that want to work in the jail. I want to hire deputies that want to work out on patrol. Not take someone that wants to be a deputy and force them to be and in the jail. And force them. And then the other culture they have is is I call them timeout units there, where if somebody messes up, say they violate policy or they do something, they have I call it a timeout unit. They stick them in the jail or they threaten or they take them and put them at the courthouse. Well, what are you telling the people that work at that courthouse or work at that jail when you're sending malcontent or problem employees to them? Deal with the problem employee in place. And and really the attitude I have with dealing, because I've been a supervisor for 20-something years with GBI, I go into it with the, with the thought process of we're going to fix this. We're going to save this person. We're going to fix this problem, and we're going to move on. They, they like to threaten them. And, and say, oh, we might do this. Well, to me, the message you're sending to the good folks that work at the jail or the good folks that work at the courthouse is you, you're the problem area, and this is where we send all the malcontents. Yeah. Every job at that sheriff's office, no matter what that job is, has honor, has respect, it has purpose. And it's important. It is very important, and it's important to me. So this this will segue nicely into the next thing I wanted to discuss with you. And I keep seeing these two things thrown around as separate problems. But I think realistically, they are the exact same thing. That is, of course, the shortage of deputies in Macon and the crime in Macon. I think you can't talk about one without talking about the other. I think it's unrealistic to try. I think they are absolute. They correspond exactly Absolutely. to they each other. They go hand in hand. I don't think anyone would be surprised to learn that we have a shortage of deputies in Macon. I, I don't think that's news to anyone. However, the severity of the situation, and, and more than the severity of the situation, the steps that Macon has taken to address it, I think that would surprise people. So so by most approximations, um, and, and yours especially, we're almost 200 deputies short. What, that would be about accurate? That's accurate. Uh, we're 200 short of what we need just to be have coverage. To, to properly to operate. To be back where they were when they merged in 2014. And, and then also, and I was, again, uh, I think this is the fourth time, surprised to learn that the remedy for this situation, as deemed appropriate by Macon, was to spend a large amount of taxpayer dollars in getting salary studies that only seem to reinforce what we already know, which is we have tremendous shortages of deputies which translates to shortages in law enforcement coverage of the city and that comparatively they're not being paid enough no their their pay needs to be it needs to be six to eight thousand dollars right off the bat it needs to be raised up that much so when we talk about how we're gonna solve this issue how how are we going to increase our coverage why would anyone right now when we're looking at um, the sheriff's office of Macon. Why would anyone, other than just being a good person and wanting to be a public servant and serve the people they live with, why why Macon? Um, I have several friends that taken jobs in Warner Robins, Houston County, mm-hmm. the surrounding counties, and still live in Macon. Mm-hmm. They they absolutely still live in Macon, but they they don't want to be a part of this team. Right? How do we fix that? Well, it's a very complex issue. And so it's not easily solved by just a, a, a statement or two. 
to give you some more history about what's going on with that, when you think about people, if you think about the job that you work right now, if somebody asks you, would you like to make more money, what would be your answer? Absolutely. Absolutely. I worked 36 years with GBI. My last day that I went to work, if somebody asked me, would you like to make more money, I'd, I would probably said. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because I probably would have added a few explicatives in there because (laughs) I think everybody does that. But why do you stay? So think about it. Why are you staying in your job? Because your job fulfills you. Mm -hmm. You you have purpose. You have a mission. There's a direction in where you're going. You have a healthy work environment. You have great coworkers. So there's a there's a whole list of things why you stay. When I've talked to deputies that have left, they aren't leaving just because of pay. Now, pay is an issue. Yes. No doubt. Nobody would dispute that. But they're they're leaving because they don't believe their leadership has their back. They don't trust them. They don't believe that the, they have a direction or, or a, a vision that they should have. And when you look at your leadership of any company that you work for, you, you want the leaders to have – a, a one-year, five-year, ten-year vision out down the road. What's happened right now with where we are right now, they are so reactive to everything because they've gotten so shorthanded. There is no proactive stuff going on that I can see. I know that they just did this little uh, political stunt with a bunch of arrestees, but they had to pull people from other areas, and this is straight out of the mouth of David, so he pulled deputies that were doing other things to, to do his, his little bidding here for his um, politics. But what happened to the job that they were doing? So they pulled them away for two months. So now that mm-hmm. job wasn't getting done. Well, and so you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, and it's just creating a bigger problem. Well, here's the thing that a lot of people don't know with a budget. Now, I know we've talked about salary studies, and I know I've been out there talking about that. But actually, under the law, the sheriff's office, the sheriff is a constitutional officer. So they serve outside of the county. And everyone that serves under him is serving outside of the county. So the sheriff is actually the one that controls. When he gets the budget from the county commissioners, it is his discretion how he spends that budget. Now, if you look at the 200 deputies short right now, we're looking at over $7 million in salaries and fringe benefits that the Bibb County is not expending right now out of their budget. So that money is being turned back in. In government, if you don't fill the position, you have to turn the money back over. So in his discretion, he has given people raises individually. He's also created positions like a captain or a major or or whatever. So there are things that he... He has the authority to do that he has been doing, but why isn't he using that $7 million to just prop up everybody there now? Exactly. Uh, as a quick aside, I have a friend that uh, works currently in the department, and uh, when I told him today that I'd be interviewing you, he got really excited, and he asked me to ask you one question. Okay. He asked me to ask you, why is it that there is such a large disparity between officers and deputies in Macon. I believe the point he was making is that for basically every one deputy you have, you have two commanders, two lieutenants. Um, You basically have a lot of people in, um, I guess, positions of administration. And what he was saying to me, and again, this is, you know, just observational, it's subjective, Mm -hmm. but the point he was making to me is that he feels like there are so many officers 
currently that it's almost insulting to the deputy shortage. Sure. And I think we can use the word supervisors as opposed to officers. So yes, people sir. will yes, understand sir. what you're what you're asking. Yes, sir. But yes, when any of you out there that are a business major, you know what I'm talking about when I say span of control. And all that is is how many supervisors versus workers. And generally speaking, in law enforcement, we use a one to five to one to seven ratio. So I, I can, like as an ASAC or a SAC when I was there, I needed to be supervising at least five to seven folks. If I wasn't, then we needed to look at that. Do you really need a supervisor there? When you look at the span of control at Bibb County right now, you can do the numbers on it. It's like one to two, maybe one to two and a half. Does that seem like a, a real it's misuse? Re- of- it's crazy what's going on because when you don't have enough deputies, when you look out there and there's 12 deputies patrolling the entire county and city, but then we have 25 supervisors back at the sheriff's office behind a desk that doesn't make any sense to me it seems like a a complete misallocation of resources when you look at the you know normally when you look at a organizational chart it's like a pyramid theirs is kind of like this and almost an inverted pyramid that's got to get fixed i would say there's there's too much at the top there's there's too there's too many what i call queen bees and not enough worker bees i have another friend and i'm sorry to keep hitting you with these that's okay that's okay but uh i I have a a, another good friend of mine that works with a uh, restaurant downtown and i I would like to move into that just a little bit when we're we're talking about an employee short uh, excuse me the shortage of deputies the tremendous amount of administration that we have and where things are falling through the gaps. I think I think um, it's no news to anyone that there has been a, a, a large project underway in Macon to revitalize downtown. Yes, we, and it's, it's great. I love going downtown it, to I eat was, out. I, I love hanging um, out on I, the sidewalks. I was down there last night. Yeah. We had um, we got lights up. Uh, people are getting in, in gear for yeah. Halloween. It's a lot of fun. Live music everywhere. It, it's completely different from, let's say, 10 years ago. Yes. And but here's here's the issue that I have, JT, and this was an issue brought to me by a friend of mine that manages one of these businesses. He told me that during the weekend, the police presence downtown is there. He sees it. But he lamented for a moment because he said it seems as though that the police presence downtown is mainly there to catch people drinking and driving. He, and he put this in perspective by saying that he had an issue uh, during the week with a homeless person. And um, that's a whole can of worms in of itself. But essentially, there was a homeless person there that was um, uh, basically being a menace to his business, was trespassing, was asked to leave politely. And he was forced to call the police on this person. The police response time, this was on a, a Tuesday afternoon. The police response time was two and a half hours. Mm-hmm before an officer responded sure by this point this person had already walked off and was probably harassing another business three streets away that's right that's that is the unfortunate situation that we have right now because they're they're so short on deputies when deputies come on patrol they go from one call to the next call to the next call and those calls are stacked up 8 10 15 sometimes 20 calls for them so when they get to your call they're already looking over their shoulder because they've got multiple calls that have already come in. So they're not able, they don't have the time to, to address the needs that you have. I have spoken with several deputies that have been well over a year that they have been on patrol in their cars and have not made a single traffic stop. 
None, not a single one, because their shift is consistent with go to call, to call, to call, to call. And then they go off shift and they come back on. There's stacked up calls. They go call, to call, to call. So so if you ride around making right now, you see people busting red lights. Oh, yeah. They're running stop signs. They're passing illegally. They're doing all kinds of things because there's no deterrent for that. And um, it's, it's like you said, how can we expect just, and correct me if I'm wrong, JT, but in my mind, a result of a competent, well-funded, well-organized police force is that you have um, deputies that are just patrolling. Yes. That we have. And, and they can focus on the, the problems that we have. There are problems. But I also believe in community policing. When you were talking about that, about being out of your patrol car and walking around on the sidewalks and talking to the people, the stuff that we have going on downtown is fa- fabulous. I am yeah. so excited that over the last couple of years, it's getting better and better and better. Ten years ago, I would have told my wife we would have never come downtown because no, it was absolutely like it's, just not. Too, it's too dangerous. It's a lot better, but it still can be better than what it is. Well, and absolutely, and and I think to a certain extent, it's it's almost we're getting we're get, we're getting uh, mixed messages from some of the leadership in Macon. We we have all these efforts underway. We're supporting businesses. We're expanding downtown. Um, we're bringing a nightlife to Macon. We want to bring in um, art, musicians. We we want to be the hub of Middle Georgia that we know ourselves to be. But we want to do it responsibly. Yes. The issue here is how how is it responsible? to keep pushing for the revitalization and increasing all the businesses downtown when we don't have adequate resources to keep them safe. Sure. And if you think about this, this problem with the deputy shortage did not occur overnight. It has been degrading for the past eight years, maybe 10 years. All right. So it's not going to get solved overnight either. If I started hiring deputies at a rapid rate, it would take probably a whole term to get 200 just to replace where we are. You know, we're gonna, we got to do something. I just learned yesterday that we've lost another nine, nine to 10 deputies just in the last three weeks that have quit. In three weeks? In just three weeks. And so the number is is somewhere north of 200. I don't know exactly where it's at right well, now. Well, and, and even then, we have to take into consideration the population of Macon increases every, yes, every year. Or, it does. And then, and, 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 but here's the thing. When people look, they want to re- relocate here. They're either getting a job here or, or whatever. They're going to – people get on the Internet. They're going to look and see what's the, what's the educational system here and then what's the crime situation here. Those are the first two things you, you should look. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what people look at. And when you look, last year we had 139 people that were shot. They, they were hit by gunfire. So they had gunshot wounds. That's uh, per capita is like 9.6. You go right down the road to Housen County, it's like 1.2. So we're nine times more likely to get shot here in Bibb County than you are in Houston County. And that's so absurd. So what are they doing differently that we aren't doing? Well, one thing they're doing differently is they have good pay, and then they are enforcing the laws, and they're getting the predators off the street. Well, I would also say that they have competent leadership, <laughs> and, and that the right people are in the right places. And There's that's good how, folks that work down in Houston. I know a lot of them. And that and that's how you form a team. Absolutely. That, and that, I think that should be the theme of everything I, we're talking everything about. Everything I do is team. 
Absolutely. And, and uh, I mean, we covered that with saying that, you know, it's antiquated, the competitiveness, the territorialness. Don't care about it, that. It's antiquated. I'm not territorial at all. Come on. It's One other thing I've learned, my youngest son is a Georgia State trooper. He wanted to follow me in law enforcement. So he, when he finished his grad degree, he went to work with Georgia State Patrol. Well, part of after he graduated, he's had to do a 30-day, um, three different times in different posts. One was in Brunswick, one was up in North Georgia, and one was in Forsyth. Well, when he worked out of the Forsyth Post, he learned straight from the troopers, oh, Bibb County doesn't like uh, GSP in the area. We, we'll just go down and we'll just work traffic stuff for them. They don't like us doing DUI or any other kind of work there. And I'm thinking, well, that's a free law enforcement that is in this area to help us make our streets safer. Why would you deter a, a, a GSP unit that is just up the road in Forsyth? Why would you discourage troopers from being here? Why, I don't understand that. Why not utilize highly trained Absolutely. officers? Highly, highly trained. He had 32 weeks of school that he went through. Very trained. And uh, I was going to say training also seems to be another theme <laughs> of, of your platform, uh, JT. We've talked about it recently, um, or we mentioned it in passing with uh, national accreditation, mm -hmm. uh, the training that comes along with that. W would you say that some of the problems we're having is a direct result of a lack of training? Uh, or, well, or, and, and I want to be careful how I say that because the, yes, sir. there are good folks there at Bib making Bib Sheriff's Office, and they do they have gone through good training. I want to elevate the training and do more training. And I had a discussion recently with someone, and they were a little upset with me because they were like, well, we do this and we do that. And I said, I, I got that. But I want to push for 100 hours of training, not 40 hours of training. When you look at the um, trend in America right now where people are upset with the police, they're upset, you know, they're talking defunding police, and they're saying we need police reform. Well, just to put this in perspective for you, an officer to go through mandate, it's 11 weeks. So that's 440 hours. And then they come out, we give them a badge and a gun and say, go to work. Now, we do some field training and some things like that. But generally speaking, it's just 11 weeks. Yeah. What comes with a national accreditation? Okay. To do that, what we're doing is we're setting our policies and procedures the way we do business is going to be set at what's called national standards. So it's pretty hard to do, and it, it's a little costly, but it, to me it's costly not to do it. So it, it requires us more training. It requires better service. So when deputies respond to a car wreck, they respond to a burglary or a enter an auto, anything like that, every bit of those policies that direct how they are supposed to respond – is set in the national accreditation. They have policies for hundreds and hundreds of actions that you do. It covers your jail. It covers the dispatch. It covers patrol, traffic, criminal investigations, working with informants, uh, uh, having a drug squad, having a, a warrant unit. Those standards would be at what's considered a nationally recognized standard. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but th this seems to go hand in hand with a lot of the grievances that people have right now, um, which you mentioned, uh, defund the police and, you know, reforming police. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that when you boil down a lot of their grievances, it does come down to training and response. It does. And so why wouldn't we be pushing ourselves to be better? Why wouldn't we want to hold ourselves to a national standard? 
when there are 10 sheriff's offices in the state of Georgia that are nationally accredited and Bibb is the sixth largest, why isn't Bibb one of the 10? JT, do you, do you know about how long it takes to get national accreditation? It would probably take us a year and a half or so just to start. And what we would do is like eating an elephant. You're going to have to do it one bite at a time. You pick one section and you get that accredited. Then you get the next section and you get that one accredited. The jail, we would that's a completely separate thing. We would be working on that. But we would also be talking with these sheriffs in other areas, other counties that are accredited and, and see how did what was your best case practices? How did you go about getting this done? The way I look at it, I know it's a little costly. But it's costly not to do it. So let's say reasonably optimistically implementing a program like this could take a year and a half to two years. Probably. And we've had how many years since consolidation? Six. And it hasn't been done. It Not. Not once. Right. But if you think about it, half of that unit was already accredited when it came in because Macon PD was already right. accredited. So it wouldn't have taken near the effort that it'll take me to get it turned around if but we had if we had made this a priority we, we sh- should have been a priority from the get-go a- absolutely well isn't it a priority as as public servants to serve your people the best you can yes absolutely and and more than that i think uh there is never good enough there's always no, improvement. There's, yeah, we can always improve with with the concept of improving in mind i, I want to bring up uh it's, it's a touchy subject um here in macon especially I want to talk about, I want to segue into homelessness okay. in Macon. It's an issue. It is. Uh, it's a real issue. One of the things that I've noticed in, in some of Macon's politics is that sometimes they we employ certain strategies on how to talk about things. And I feel that homelessness in Macon, to a certain extent, we've been employing the strategy of don't address the problem. But But moving into that, we have so many organizations in Macon. I can name a few off the top of my head. We have uh, the Rescue Mission. We have Daybreak. We have the Salvation Army. We have Loaves and Fishes. We have Macon Outreach. We have the Mulberry Street Methodist um, organization. We have a lot. But I think it's real interesting because um, a lot of these organizations form up what's called the Macon Coalition and Homelessness. And there's a few other of these coalitions. I was surprised to learn that there is not a representative from the sheriff's office that currently sits on these boards or at the very least attends their meetings. So if we if we try to unpack that, homelessness is a problem. It's not a problem that can be solved overnight, but this problem is intersectional. Between the organizations that do their outreach and, and try to help, they also will intersect with the sheriff's office. It's only um, a matter of time. In my opinion, it's every day that this happens. Do, do you think that it is a tremendous oversight that the sheriff's office does not have representatives and does not send people down to organize with these people. When we're, when we're allocating resources from these nonprofits to try to help the problem, there's not communication happening now. And if there is, it's very minimal. It's not enough. So what would a JT Ricketson sheriff's office what would we do about this? Well, first off, I, I do believe you should have partnerships with that. But but when you get into the homeless issue, I, I it's a very complex issue, and it's not easily solved. I, I helped serve homeless here. My wife and I did this for three and a half years. We started with a couple. Their name uh, is Joe and uh, Denise Saturna. And another, a couple of other couples were doing this, and we were. It was actually called "Meet Us at the Fountain." We did this every Sunday afternoon, and the reason we did Sundays was because we, the, we, I'm being Joe and Denise, they actually looked at 
the situation in Macon, and they said, okay, well, there's feeding Monday through Tuesday, you know, all the way through Sunday. Nothing was Sunday afternoon. There was a, a breakfast Sunday morning, but then it was all the way till Monday before it, uh, homeless fo- people could get something to eat. So we chose Sunday afternoon. That was, that was um, how that was decided. We went from the fountain, we went down to Central City. We were down there, rain shine every single Sunday on holidays, whatever. When we, if Tammy and I went out of town, we were always made sure we got back so we could be there because we wanted to be there to help serve. So we served between 75 and 125 folks. What we learned going into this was our thoughts and wishes and aspirations that we had internally that we wanted them to have, they don't have. They, they, out of the 125 folks that I knew by name, they were very happy where they were in the station in life that they had. Some of them had mental uh, health issues. Yes. And we certainly saw that. And that's a whole nother issue when you look at mental health hospitals that we have in the state. And I don't know if you know this, but Bib, the, uh, not just Bib, but all sheriff's jails across the state of Georgia house between six and eight times more mentally ill patients than our hospitals do. And so that, that is a whole other issue. But what we learned dealing with them week after week after week was there is a network with them, and they learn. And if you look at Macon, we do have a number of organizations. You mentioned that. So folks can get here. They'll hop off of a train. Yeah. I've had folks that, that lived in their car, and we, they never got out of the car. We'd see them on Sunday. They'd pull up. We would take the food to them, they would eat, we'd take their trash, and then they would drive off. They would never step foot. I never saw them get out of their car. But there's a network with these folks. When they get off the train or they come to Macon, they know within a day, Monday through Sunday, where they can go to, to ha- get a bath, get their clothes washed, get food, get whatever it is that they need. So we serve a lot. That's why there's 600 to 800 homeless here, because we do serve them but here's another interesting issue that we learned through this whole process is other areas in like in south carolina or over in alabama they they'll do things like uh, help you with your teeth or help with um some other uh, medical issue that you might have and so these people share that information and then they travel to there to get their teeth fixed and then they'll come back to bacon and i'm not trying to make light of that but it's just you need to understand there is a sophistication with what we have going on here. I think, um, I mean, it's definitely a very complex issue. It is a complex issue. What What I would like to know is mm-hmm. would would your office be more communicative to the? Absolutely, we would be on that committee. I probably would be on that committee because I've already got some more inside information. Yeah. And I, my thing is, homeless folks in in, in under the Constitution. If they want to hang out and be homeless, that's their right if that's what they want to do. The only time you're going to see criminal justice get involved in them is if they break the law. Absolutely, which that could be um, loitering. Um, it all, could be, all, but, all kinds. you know, generally speaking, that is more of a nuisance, and we could actually get them banned. We could go through the court and get them banished 
But but short of you know short of being a nuisance, if we want to kind of address the problem as a whole, there's going to be a lot of facets of it. Um, just just to give you an example, I have a very good friend that uh, works in one of these organizations, and you would be surprised the amount of information that these organizations have on these people that use their services. Some of them have mental health issues. It, it seems to me that it's irresponsible that the sheriff's office isn't just constantly in the know and has a liaison to these organizations to share information. It, it also it also seems to me that it would lead to basically misusing resources. We, we have these organizations in Macon. They want to help. And they want to help the sheriff's office, too, because they are both advocates for these and they want to help this. I mean, uh, literally, it's called the Macon Coalition and Homelessness. Ending homelessness is a very admirable goal, but it's complicated. I think just very. talking about it now, we, we've explored how complicated it is. But how do we get there when, our, when even our sheriff's office, as it currently stands, does not have people talking there? For instance, they, they have meetings, I believe, once a month where different leaders from these organizations meet up and they give reports. This is effective. This isn't effective. This area is more vulnerable mm -hmm. to this than this area. Sure. We need to focus resources in this area. And you look around and you would expect to see someone from the sheriff's office there. You would think so. With also having information for them, saying this is what we're seeing. Sure. Um, more importantly, there there's all kinds of of indicators and hints, especially when you get towards the mental health side of it, which mm -hmm. is its own can of worms. But if if we're not communicating and we have high-risk individuals in the area that say this organization knows about because they dealt with them sure. and that they know that this person might be violent, Right. That this person. And, they, and we do have some that are violent. Absolutely. Especially when they're off their meds. Exactly. And we knew who they were. And so we have situations like this, but it's not being communicated. No. The, the breakdown in communication, I think, is one of the grossest problems in this. That's right. And what I would ask you, JT, and I, you've already answered it, but just one more time, sure. your, your office would be way more communicable. Absolutely. If you serve the public, you should be connected to the public. And that means everything. All aspects of it, including the homeless. But thank you. Thank you for explaining. That's a very hard topic it, it to is. go into. And and, and, uh, and like my heart goes out to them. And I'll tell you, Macon has a huge heart. That's mm. why we have so many agencies here trying to help out. Exactly. The outreach is huge. And Absolutely. um and I and I think that. Yeah, the food bank is another play. You didn't it, mention it, that, but that's another yeah, one. Yeah, it's huge. And coordinating with them through the local sheriff's office mm -hmm. is a necessity. It should be. If it, you're serving the public, you got to be connected to the public. It's a collaboration. Absolutely. It's a collaboration. And when one side isn't talking, there is no collaboration. Well, just a quick segue off of that. You know, when I show up at events downtown, you know, the lighting, you know, where we had the music, the Christmas music and things like that, or they had the orchestra downtown – my thing is because I'm law enforcement guy, so I'm looking around to see where where's the where's the security down here? Where right. are the extra law enforcement? And I'm thinking, or do they have plain clothes down here? So I'm looking around. Well, then I locate one and I go talk to them and try to find out. And recently, it's maybe a, about a year ago, I saw two, and I was like, there was almost two thousand people downtown. And so I was like, uh, where's the rest? Are y'all like in plain clothes? Nope, it's just us two. And I said, I, this, this makes no sense. This is a huge event for Macon. There, there is a possibility, because there are predators out here, that they could, you know, snatch purses or do something. Because you get, when you congregate a whole lot of people together, sometimes the, the worst of our element comes out. And Absolutely. We have that. And there were only two. 
And so I said, this, this doesn't make any sense. Well, they're, they're, one of the explanations was, well, we just learned about this yesterday. And I said, they've been talking about this on the radio, and it's been in the newspaper for weeks yeah. on this. So how could you just learn about this two days ago? I mean, saying it like you're getting caught off guard. I don't understand yeah, really. that either. So yeah. if you're not engaged and connected, that's what happens. And uh, and just to circle back, when we talk about expanding and revitalizing downtown, these are all yes. essential things. Absolutely. That, that absolutely essential things mm-hmm. that have to be done. And in my opinion, just, just from talking to you and learning about you, your willingness to work with other organizations, to work across jurisdictions, to put the right people in the right place, in my opinion, you seem well-equipped to really, help. Yeah, I can work with any And it's like we said, it's not that we're going to solve this. Any organization doesn't matter. We're not going to solve this overnight, but we have to get started. No, but we got to start laying bricks somewhere. Exactly. To build build some kind of future. And it's not necessarily that we have to raise the foundation of the sheriff's office as a whole, but we do have to rebuild. We have to restructure, and we have to move towards bettering it. That, and, and then to me... People take cues from their leadership. Absolutely. And if you see the leadership rolling their sleeves up and out there on the streets and trying to help folks doing things, I think that that will that will trickle all the way down through the whole thing. And my my attitude is I'm a public servant. That's why I'm a, available to the public. I have my cell phone that's out there. A lot of people are like, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> I said, "No, that's because I'm, you know, please don't call me late because I got to bed early, but <laughs> I, I do have my phone out there. And I've had people call me. I'm out um, jogging or doing something, and I, I stop and answer the phone. And they're saying, well, I need to mention such. And they're like, wait a minute, your voice sounds for me. I said, yes, JT. They're like, are you kidding me? I said, <laughs> yeah, you mean I just call? I said, yeah, if you want to talk, I, I'll listen. I mean, I, I felt I felt the same way when I emailed you and you responded to me directly. <laughs> yeah, I, was, well, I was expecting to talk to you. As a, a public servant, you serve the public. Yes, sir. That's that's exceptionally admirable. Yeah. Moving into our last topic, and I, I know you're a busy man. I appreciate you giving me your time today. But th- there's one more thing I want to talk to you about that I feel like encompasses a lot of what we've talked, was spoken about. And that is um, we have a new mayor in Macon, yes. uh, Mr. Lester Miller. When we were talking about what it'll take or what will it take to implement these changes? It's going to take coordination between commissioners, the mayor, and of course yourself um, when you take this office. Do you feel confident that you can navigate those waters? Absolutely. I can work with anybody. If you think about in my career, sitting down, I have sat down across from the most violent individual you would ever meet. And I was able to get a confession out of them. I know I can work with Lester. He and I have already talked several different times. He's a great man. I'm excited about the future that we're having. I believe we're turning the corner right now. This is a marking time for our history that we're going to be able to go back and look and say, you know what, we were headed on one path that was that was uh, misusing money, and we had violence on our streets, and we had deputies that were leaving, you know, by the dozens. And then guess what? In 2020, we did it. We had an election, and we decided we wanted something better for our community. A change in direction. Absolutely. Uh, um, Macon, Macon, for all of its good qualities does sometimes have a tendency to go business as usual. Well, we, we have gotten too complacent. When you think about the homicide rate that we have here, it's six times the national average. We should be experiencing seven homicides for our population size, seven. 
Seven to me is still too many, but good grief. We're at 38 already yeah. for this year. So we've gotten too complacent with this. We have some new commissioners that were elected also. So I'm very excited about the possibilities of where we can take this. And I think in the truest sense of, of democracy, what we're seeing is the people of Macon are waking up. Well, and, and you say you mentioned democracy here. When you think about safety, it doesn't matter what your party affiliation is. If no. you're a Republican, a Democrat, independent, libertarian, or whatever, even if you don't affiliate with anything, everybody wants to be safe. Yes. We all deserve to be safe. And that's the job of the sheriff is trying to make the streets safe. That's the whole goal. There's going to be a lot of programs and a lot of things that I will implement here but it's all for one reason, and it's to make the streets safer. Well, in closing, JT, I really appreciate your time. I know I know the people that are going to listen to this really appreciate your candidness. One, one thing is just an observation. You have been a career public servant your yes, whole life. My whole life, 36 you, years. You've seen things, and you've interacted with people. You've interacted with the worst of society. I feel like that's safe to say. Yes. There's something about you that is different, that it doesn't seem like, these things weigh you down. You you have an optimism, yes, and a I'm, candidness. I'm excited. Well, yeah. I, and I know I paint a, a dark picture here, and and I tell people that sometimes when I get because I get really passionate about talking about the problems here, but our problems are not where we can't correct them. It's not hopeless. But we've got to change course. We've got to pump the brakes and get off this train wreck that we're on. We just did this with the mayor, so we're turning the corner there. We've added a couple of new commissioners. I believe the other commissioners that are there are all going to come on board and realize public safety is something that we need to take care of. Exactly. We've got to get our streets safe. When we get our streets safe, then we can start celebrating our rich history of sports and music and literature Absolutely. and arts. I mean, there's so many things out there that we aren't getting to celebrate because we're bogged down with the crime. Or even if we were to use those as a foundation to, to build making up because we are a hub of art and culture. We are. And we have a super rich history. But how can we express that? How can we build on that mm -hmm. when we can't do it safely? Right. How, how, why should a business move here? Why should a, a music recording studio move here and move into the downtown area when there is a, a good chance they might get broken into or vandalized yeah, or robbed? And, and have an hour and a half or two hour response time. And I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad that you see that and recognize it. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, that is unacceptable. It is. But just just as an aside, you, you just seem like such a, a candid, optimistic person and I think it's remarkable that in your career and all the things you've seen that you hold such a strong disposition, such a positive and hopeful disposition. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I know, I know you don't like compliments, but you're a very humble person. I appreciate that too, but, um, I can't help but notice it. And in, in my closing thoughts, it seems like Macon needs you more than you need Macon. <laughs> and and that, uh, that is, the, that's, that's huge. I, that, I, no, <laughs> that, that's, that's how I feel like you, you are the change that we need. And, and in closing with that, I just want to say thank you uh, for mm -hmm. coming out. Thank you for, uh, allowing me to talk to you about these things. And I just can't wait for November 3rd. And uh, for everyone listening, of course, um, if you are have been under a rock for the past hour, uh, Mr. JT Ricketson, JT, JT, is running for Sheriff of Macon. The election will be November 3rd. And uh, I hope this can help you make an informed vote.
JT, thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you for having me. It's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And everyone, if you need any more information about Mr. Ricketson, uh, you can find him on jtrickettsonforsheriff.com. He also has a uh, Facebook page that's been blowing up with some of his other interviews and things. He's one of the most accessible people that you're going to see in this election cycle. And if you have grievances, if you have concerns, I believe this man wants to hear him, and I believe he wants to help. Thank you.